Well, my dad's birthday is coming up. I won't tell you when his party is because I don't want him to see this, okay? But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, as I think about my dad, one really strong memory comes to me. When I was a child, um, I was probably six or seven, and there were four kids in our house, so a lot of activity, a lot of going here, going there. But, but I remember this one time, he, he made it a point to just take me out, to hang out, to do some things. And, you know, I, I don't even remember all that we did that night. But I do remember, we were in the mall, and out of nowhere, he said, hey, let's stop here at the candy store. Okay, we didn't do that in the Collins household, okay? We were like fruit and veggies kind of people, right? So, so to stop at the candy store, man, that was exciting, right? But, uh, and, and we picked out these um, sugar-coated, gooey watermelon things. You know what I'm talking about, right? The half circles? Oh, man. Those are like my favorite to this day. And I think it's because of this, okay? But he, it was just amazing to me as a six or seven-year-old. And I remember after we bought it, we were walking away, we were, you know, munching on our treat. I said, Dad, why are you being so nice to me? <laughs> like there was some ulterior motive, you know? Doesn't, uh, when, when someone's good to you, right? When someone's kind to you, when, when someone shows goodness, it makes an impact, doesn't it? It kind of makes you think, oh man, there's something different going on. There's something that, that you know, and, and kind of our cynical minds say, what's going on, right? What do they want from me? But in truth, when, when you see that genuine goodness, you go, wow, where does that come from, right? Goodness stands out, doesn't it? So today, as we continue our series on the fruit of the Spirit, we're going to talk about goodness. And I mentioned last week uh, that, that kind of the, the next couple uh, weeks, to a certain extent, they cover each other, right? Kindness and goodness, you go, oh, automatically, yeah, they're kind of the same thing. We could have just consolidated them and gone right to faithfulness, you know? But, but I think God has something very particular that he wants for your life tonight. And, and so we're going to talk about this idea of, of goodness, and it's not as easy to come by as you might think, and, and really it's a bigger deal than you might think as well. In fact, the Bible says that goodness um, has your eternity wrapped up in it. The Bible says that your eternity rests in goodness. That's quite a statement, right? And, and you may have a different perspective on on. You know, what that phrase means, what are we talking about when we say that, that our eternity rests on goodness? But I want you to hang with me for a second, okay? Over the next couple of minutes, we're going to talk about what that means. But before we do that, I want to look at what most people think, and, and maybe even some of us think, about uh, goodness. What is goodness all about? You know, uh, often we think of it as uh, a, a set of deeds, a list of good things that will, uh, if I do them, mean that I'm a good person. So we, we really try our best to check off that list. You know, the, the problem is that we write our own list, right? Isn't that true? 
You know, uh, whether it's based on our own experiences or our, our conscience or our emotion or even societal conventions, right? Basically, what everybody else is doing. We kind of formulate this idea of, okay, these are the things that I'm supposed to do and these are the things that I'm not supposed to do. The amazing thing that happens is that when I take my list and I put it up next to your list, you know, wait, these don't match up, right? And, and even if we go outside of our cultural uh, norms, man, it's even more different, right? So what in the world, if, if, if our list is supposed to be the thing that brings about eternity, if our eternity is dependent on a list, I better get the right one, right? And then I realize, as I look at that list, not only are you not following my list, but I'm not even following my list. Even those things that I say, okay, these would be good, <laughs> but I don't want to do it, <laughs> right? If our eternity depends on getting that list right, I better make sure I have the right list. Goodness is a bigger deal than we think. You know, but goodness isn't about lists. I don't know about you, but <laughs> that's kind of a relief, okay? Because I've seen some pretty long lists. We often think of it like this. If I do good, I'll be good. But the Bible says, God's word says, if I am good, then I'll do good. And really, in truth, that's, that's a world of difference. In, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 17, it says, So every good tree bears good fruit. But bad trees, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. I have this weed tree in my yard. And I don't know, I guess it's probably just because I'm lazy, right? But initially, when I was mowing, I, I just mowed around it. I just figured, you know what, I don't want to mess up my blade. I'll just mow around it. And then it got bigger. And then I thought, well, maybe I'll cut it down, you know, with my clippers. But then it got too big to cut down. So I just, just kind of left it, right? Now that's silly enough, but... If I went out there and expected to find apples on that tree, that'd be ridiculous, wouldn't it? I mean, we all know that tree is not going to produce good fruit because that's not what it was intended for. As we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, it's less about the fruit and it's more about the source that grows the fruit. Listen to Matthew chapter 12, verse 35. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. It's a lot of good, isn't it? And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. That's true, isn't it? The verse right before it says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Basically, it's saying, what, what's in here, you're not going to be able to keep it in, okay? It's going to come out. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know, these, these verses speak of the very core of that tree, right? It speaks of, of the very core of who we are. It's not talking about the fruit that's on the tree. It's talking about what that tree was really made for. Same thing with our lives. In fact, the core of who we are is not good or goodness, 
fruit is going to be sorely lacking in our lives. Isn't that true? And you know, sometimes we can, we can do good things. But we realize and we recognize that it's not done with good motives. So it kind of just messes us up, right? So even when we accomplish a good deed, the heart is kind of messed up. But let's see what God's word has to say about our goodness. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, and, and we're going to start in verse 16. You know, last, remember last time we talked about how God turns conversations on their head, right? You know, we, we saw this story of, the, uh, of a hero, and he was also a Samaritan. <laughs> that doesn't happen, right? Jesus was, was taking that, that idea of not only is a Samaritan my neighbor, but he's also the good guy. He's also the one who did what you wouldn't do. And he, he's kind of catching us off guard, doesn't he? You know, pat answers, Sunday school answers, they don't seem to work out the way that we planned when we're talking to Jesus. Because we want Jesus to see, oh God, I know these things, I'm good. But Jesus goes, let's look at the heart. Let's go deeper. And you know, it's not to make us look stupid. It's not to make us look foolish. He does it to reveal truth in our lives, to reveal who he is. And he's doing it for you. And in Matthew 19, Jesus challenges our view of this goodness list. He proclaims himself to be the definition of good. Jesus is the definition of good. Look at verses uh, 16 and 17. In Matthew chapter 19. And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. It's interesting to me. This man is a lot like us. He says, Okay, Jesus, you know, I, I've heard of your reputation. I heard that you're the one handing out eternal life here. So give me the list. What do I need to do? What are the requirements? Because I really want eternal life, you know? I want to live forever. What boxes do I need to check? What good thing do I need to do to obtain, really saying to earn, eternal life? And you know, he, he's actually not trying to be disrespectful. He just thinks he's prepared for whatever Jesus might want him to do. He's saying, okay, I'm ready for this. I'm geared up for this. I, I, I got all my bases covered here. I think I'm good. Let's take the test. And Jesus says, hold on, hold on. Let's start from the beginning. Let's define our, our terms here. What is good? <laughs> it says, good is defined by who God is. That's what Jesus says. There is only one who is God. And, and you'll notice that, that uh, um, even, even in the translation, it comes across as, uh, it's, it's capital O, capital O-N-E, that's one, right? Okay, so it's referring uh, to God. So he says, there's only one who is good. So if I started out tonight and I said, God is good, I would expect you to say, all the time, right? And if I said, all the time, you would say, right? And we just say that, right? 
But there is so much truth, truth to that. And scripture continually points to this truth. Actually, it, it seems to be a given about God. His goodness, like his very existence, isn't really ever defended. It's not like there's a whole thesis at the beginning that says, okay, let's think about this. There was nothing, and then, well, where did God come in? No, it says, in the beginning, God, right? So in that same way, his goodness is, is uh, kind of uh, just simply put out there as a reality of who he is. Listen to what attributes or characteristics one Bible scholar includes when talking about the goodness of God. It's a long list, okay? Holiness, righteousness, justice. That speaks of the goodness of God, right? Of the rightness of God. But also genuineness, veracity, which is truthfulness, faithfulness. God is these things. His goodness is incorporated into these things. Benevolence, grace, and mercy. See, so many of the characteristics, the attributes of God are wrapped up in this blanket of goodness. When we speak of God's goodness, we're speaking of these other things as well. It's what true goodness looks like. It's how it's defined. It's bigger than that, though. It, it's, it's, it's bigger than I thought. You know, his attributes are, are often referred to as perfections. <laughs> okay, when I look at my life, I don't have a list of perfections, okay? Like, I have a list of things that I'm sort of good at, and I'm sort of okay on, and maybe I have covered, but I don't think any of them I could say 100% I got this down, right? Is that true for your life too, or am I the only one? Okay, good. Okay. So these attributes that are called perfections, they, they talk about things that are 100% true of God. And not just 100% true of God on Tuesdays. Okay? They're true of God at all times. I don't know about you, but that gives me confidence. He doesn't change, right? He will always make the right decision. That in Him is complete justice. That's good to know, isn't it? In Him is genuineness and dependability. In Him is pure mercy and grace. You know, the psalmist trusted him. He said, in Psalm 27, 13, he said, I would have despaired. I would have given up unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He had confidence that God knew what he was doing because he was good, because he is right, because of all those things, because of his mercy and grace. I hope that amazes you. Because there is nothing good, nothing beneficial, nothing right that is missed from God's character. There's no slip-ups. There's no oversights. There's just amazing goodness, amazing righteousness when we look at God. And everything that comes from God is good. It's right. You see, God's goodness isn't defined by actions or deeds but it's merely de a demonstration of his goodness. 
Psalm 33 verse 5 says, The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. We see the goodness of God emanating out from him. It affects everything that we see. James chapter 1 verse 17 says, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Now when we look at Genesis, right, as, when we look at the creation story, after he creates, what does he say? And it was good. Wow. And then, when he made us, when he created us, he said it was very good. I don't know about you, but that that makes me kind of thrilled, right? When God says something's good, that means it's pretty, pretty amazing. That's the God we serve. We are a demonstration of his character. Does, Does that just kind of... We're supposed to be a demonstration of his character. In this conversation, Jesus wasn't just making a correction in linguistics. You know, he wasn't just saying to this man, now remember, only God is good. Now, lesson over. (laughs) He was saying, man, do you really know how good God is? But he was also saying, this is that he was in fact claiming to be God. In parallel passages, in Mark chapter 10, verse 18, and Luke 18, verse 19, you you might be able to see it more clearly, but some versions actually in, in this passage include the phrase, good teacher. So when this man comes up to Jesus, he, he says, good teacher, what good thing do I need to do to obtain eternal life? And Jesus says, Who are you calling good? You know there's only one who is good but God. Only God is good. He's kind of saying, are are you saying what I think you're saying? Why are you asking me about goodness? The right answer and the answer that Jesus was implying was because you're God. You're the one who is completely good. Where else would I go? Of course I'm asking you, right? Jesus was giving this man the opportunity to connect the dots. Have you ever seen the, the, those games, right? Where, or like, even as a kid, you know, there's just a bunch of dots on the page and they're, they're numbered and you have to go one, two, and you have no idea what it is until you connect the dots, right? That's what Jesus is trying to kind of, okay, do you, are, you starting to get, are you starting to see the picture here? Jesus gave his disciples an opportunity like that not very long ago. You can read about it in Matthew chapter 16. In verse 15, he says, Who do you say that I am? And Peter, man, he made made the connections. He, He connected those dots, and it was almost as if a light bulb went off. And he said, You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the one who will make all things right. You are the Son of the living God. So Peter would have said here, Jesus, I'm calling you good teacher because you are the very definition of good. But here in Matthew 19, it it seems like there's enough room in the text for a blank stare, right? For this man to just go, okay, I'm just just asking a question. Is, Is this a trick or what, you know? 
And so Jesus moves on. I think that's pretty neat. I, I love how gracious he is to us. You know, he's so patient. He gives us opportunity after opportunity for that to kind of clear up. Okay, are you getting it now? Are you getting it now? But then Jesus says something that bothers all of us. Especially after we read the creation story and we kind of get puffed up and we go, God said I am very good, right? He declares the goodness, uh, after he declares that goodness is found in him, Jesus reveals our lack of goodness. Look at verse 17, the second part, and then some verses after that. It says, And he said to him, um, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, uh, You shall love, uh, excuse me, you shall not commit murder, which is you shall love, right? You shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Are these sound familiar, right? Hey, wait, wait a second. These are the Ten Commandments, right? These are just some of them. You shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We talked about that one last week, didn't we? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What's his response? What's the young man's response? He said to him, all these things I have kept. What am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, if you wish to be perfect, go and sell all of your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. You know, Jesus started with some of the Ten Commandments. The law was given to us as a wake-up call. It was given to us to show us our great need. Because as we look at the law of God, we go, I can't even keep those ten simple commandments. Ten basic things that, yeah, we can agree on, this would be good to do in my life. I can't keep those. So forget about the 100% thing, right? I can't even do like 50. I'm a failing grade if I look at it uh, from a school perspective. We are nowhere near being classified as good. And Jesus says, look in the mirror. He says, take an honest look. Okay, here's my law. Take a look. And what does he say? What does this man say? Oh, I've done these things from my youth. I, I'm good here, you know. I, I got these Ten Commandments down, man. I study them in school, and, and I do all of them. I was a good boy. I grew up in youth group. I did all the things that people expected me to do. What's lacking? Did I miss something? You know, am I good? Do I get eternal life now? Or, you know, because I'm busy. <laughs> John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, kind of uh, opens our eyes, right? It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. That phrase, we deceive ourselves, we, we don't really like to think about that, do we? That we can trick ourselves 
into thinking something is true when it's not. Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitful above all things. It's deceiving you. I don't like that. I don't, I don't think that I can't be relied on for making a list, right? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So if this man was honest, he would say, you're right, I haven't done all that. Then the Lord puts his finger on this man's particular sin. His love for stuff, his possessions, his financial security, trusting himself instead of trusting God. You know, take note of that. You know, God tends to give us opportunities to confess our sin before he kind of shows it up publicly, right? He put his finger on this man's life and he said, okay, what about this? I, not there. I'm good here, but... Jesus is not saying, okay, if you do all these things, if, if you follow these Ten Commandments, and if you give all that you have to the poor, then you'll have eternal life. He's not saying that. He's saying, be honest. You're not even close to the perfection of God, to the goodness of God. This man refused to do that. He refused to admit his need. So let's be honest for a second, okay? No false pretenses, no masks. What about you? Would you say, you know what? I got it, God. I see in my life, I've, I've been doing pretty good. I've been keeping these commandments. I've been, you know, going along this road. I mean, I'm not perfect. Oh. <laughs> the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Romans 3.23. You know, we can blame Adam all we want. And, and to a certain extent, rightfully so. But we, this verse, holds us accountable. It says... You know what? You miss the mark. We miss the mark. All of us miss the mark. Not only did we miss the mark, but we didn't even hit the bale of hay that the target was on. Right? And we were nowhere near it. And we shoot the arrow and we say, oh, see that? That was good. That, that, was, that was awesome. That was right on. And then we look, if we're honest, we say, oh, <laughs> mm-mm. I fell short, right? How did we get there? I mean, God, when God made us, he labeled us very good, right? So how did we go from that to, I can't even hit the mark. Romans chapter 5 is an incredible passage that talks about what that looks like, really in overview. It says, uh, in verse 12, therefore, just as through one man, Adam, see, I told you he can take some of the blame, sin entered the world and death through sin. And so death spread to all men. It was like a disease. Oh, because all sinned. It's back to us again, right? Our sin kind of rots out our tree. And you know what? No one would expect fruit from it. No one would expect good fruit from a dead tree. And in fact, the person who is trusting in their own list 
to kind of, okay, here's some fruit. I'm, I'm going to take this apple and just put it on my branches, right? He says uh, in Jeremiah 17, verse 5, that um, that person doesn't even know what goodness looks like. The person who is trusting themselves doesn't even know what goodness looks like. I tell you, I don't like that. <laughs> Anybody else, like, jump in for joy here? Oh, great, let's leave now. Thank you, God, for telling me that I'm terrible, right? But you know what's amazing is that God's not trying to put you down. He's not trying to say, you're just uh, a mess. He's not doing it to condemn you. He's doing it to bring out life in you. It's easier to deceive ourselves than to humble ourselves, isn't it? Have you ever seen the, the Lorax? <laughs> My kids are like in this Lorax mode. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Okay, so this, this one guy, he's called the Onceler. And he's cutting down all the trees in the forest, you know, just messing everything up. And then he starts singing a song. It says, I'm tempted to sing it, but. <laughs> How bad, and he says, can I be? How bad can I be? He says, I'm just doing what comes naturally. How bad can I be? And everybody is looking at the screen, and my kids, when, when there's like no trees on the hill, they're going, <gasps> right? <laughs> the answer is, you can be terrible. We can deceive ourselves, can't we? And this man, in Matthew 19, refuses to humble himself. He refuses to acknowledge that he couldn't earn eternal life. But it doesn't have to be that way. God's grace, uh, he shows grace to the humble. You know, the man on the cross that was next to Jesus said, Jesus, save me. What did Jesus say? It's too late. You don't have enough time. You know, maybe you can make things right with your mom, with your dad, with your family, with the people you offended not what he said. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He said, here it is. Because you humbled yourself. Because you looked to the right place. The woman caught in adultery. She humbled herself, right? Before God and said, God, have mercy on me. Jesus said that his ministry he says this in Matthew chapter 9, verse 12, that his ministry was not focused on those who thought that they didn't need a doctor, but those who knew without a doubt that they did. You know, we can try to go through life and say, I'm healthy, I'm strong, but if there's a disease, you're fooling yourself, right? And Jesus came, his ministry was all about those who said, yeah, I need help. I need a doctor. I can't do this on my own. Are we desperate for him? You know, do we see ourselves as, as the rich young ruler or as the woman who poured out perfume on Jesus' feet, saying, all I have is yours. It's not much, but here it is. Be honest. Be humble before him. Because what's so amazing is that God's not just pointing it out to make you look bad. He wants to do something dramatic about it. 
He wants to fill us with his goodness. Let's look at verses 23 through 26. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. You know, with with compassionate frustration, Jesus says, it's hard for us to give up that thing in your life, isn't it? You might even say it's impossible. But the disciples almost missed what Jesus was saying. (laughs) Look at what they said. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished. Their jaws were on the ground. They were like, (gasps) and said, then who can be saved? Their jaws were on the floor and and they were calling after the rich man and saying, wait, wait, come back. Jesus was just kidding. He was just playing with you. Hold on. And they said to Jesus, Jesus, he he was our best candidate. I mean, he could have financed your whole ministry. See, they had been taught that God's blessing on your life, God's approval shows up in your bank account. So this rich man was obviously living a good life. He was a super Christian. And he was blessed by God. So if he wasn't good enough to make it into your kingdom, what are the chances that I have, the disciples said. (laughs) I think Jesus had a glimmer in his eye. And he said, exactly, you got it. That's what I'm trying to say. You can't be good enough. And looking uh, at them, Jesus said to them, With people, this is impossible. Nobody can be saved. But with God, all things are possible. He said, just follow me. (laughs) Just come after me. Let me show you what I'll do. You know, today we celebrated the Lord's Supper. And really, the disciples lived what we only can picture They saw Jesus being crucified, being beaten, being scorned, being rejected. And what could they do? They were powerless. And then they saw the mighty power of God when Jesus was raised from the dead. I can't do that. I don't know about you. And Jesus is saying here, wait just a second. Let me show you. I'm going to change you. I'm going to fill you with my goodness. In Romans chapter 5, verse 17, that same passage that that talked about Adam's sin and about our sin, says for, uh, in verse 17, for if by the transgression of one, Adam, if, if by the transgression of one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, these are aspects of God's goodness, they will reign in life. You know, if, if Adam's uh, uh, mistake, if Adam's transgression made that much of a difference in your life, if it corrupted you to the core, if it was the thing that, that uh, caused you to be drawn to sin, he says, guess what? The thing that I'm going to do in your life? Oh boy. I am so much greater than Adam. Wow. 
And what's amazing is he talks about in life. He says, uh, um, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Our lives will be different because of the goodness that God wants to pour into your life. And then in verse 21, as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So when this man comes to him and he says, what good thing must I do to have, to obtain, to, to be able to say, this is mine. What must I do to obtain eternal life? In short, Jesus says, nothing. You can't do a thing. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. Isn't that true? It's because of the work of Christ. It says, call out upon Him. So what would you allow um, to get in the way of that? Do you want to stick with your checklist? Because I'm not even good at my own checklist. Or would we say, okay, God, you got to do this work in me. I'm surrendering to you. I'm giving it to you. Because I know me. I know who I am. Would you allow him to change the core of who you are? From needy to satisfied. From death to life. You know, and this change is not the end of the story, it's the beginning. Because he will fill your tree with fruit. Because when God changes the inside, it's demonstrated outside. In John chapter 15, verse 8, it says, My Father is glorified in this. This is what Jesus said. My Father is glorified in this that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Demonstrate who I've made you to be. Demonstrate the change that's taken place in your life. It will show if you are my disciples. Your life is never the same when Christ fills you with his goodness. And your actions will demonstrate that goodness. At the end of Romans, in Romans chapter 15, verse 14, it says, I am convinced, Paul is saying, I am convinced that you are full of goodness. <laughs> That's quite a change. If you read Romans chapter 1, it says, man, we got a big problem. <laughs> we don't have any goodness. And by the end of the book, Paul is saying, I see, God has done something in your lives, hasn't he? Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify who? Your Father, which is in heaven. Read the book of James, right? That balance between faith without works. Faith shows, right? So when someone looks at your life and says, man, you're such a good person, be sure that they know, no, I'm not. If you only knew. 
But God's goodness was poured out into my life when I didn't deserve it. You know what? He wants to do the same for you. And what you see is only because of him. Our eternity is dependent on goodness. Aren't you glad that it's not your goodness? His goodness is sufficient and perfect. And he offers it to all. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. Lord, and we just want to be honest. We fall short. And not just a little bit, Lord. As you reveal truth to us, as we humble ourselves, as we, we allow you to take away the deception that we've built up around us, show us our great need for you. Lord, I thank you that you didn't just say, you got a problem, fix it yourself. You gave us Jesus, the Son of God, to be a sacrifice, to take my place on a dead tree so that new life could spring forth from my tree. Father, Lord, challenge us with your word tonight. Challenge us with your goodness. Challenge us with how that is demonstrated in our lives. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.